Hello and welcome to the Social Work Sessions with myself, Carolyn Smith, Principal Social Worker for Adults from Somerset Council. Social Work Sessions is a podcast that makes space for conversations about social work with adults. A podcast to support your learning, reflection and exploration of contemporary issues in practice. So welcome to another episode of the Social Work Sessions. It's really good to be back again. And I'm really delighted that I've got Philippa Gates with me today um, having a conversation all about our regulators, Social Work England. So I'm going to go over first of all to Philippa and ask Philippa if she can introduce herself to tell us a little bit about her role um, and, uh, and, and her, you know, her, how she's got to where she is today within Social Work England. So welcome, Philippa. Lovely to see you. Oh, hi, Carolyn. Thank you so much for inviting myself and Social Work England onto these podcasts. Really excited to be here and talk about all things regulation. Um, so some people might know me, but if they don't, I'm Philippa Geddes and I am a registered social worker. I've been a social worker for, oh, every year it changes, isn't it? About 24, five years. Um, and my background is children and families. And I worked very much in statutory social work um, before I moved to work for the regulator in 2019, um, before it, you know, we, we went live, so to speak. Um, I'm currently work for the regulator as their regional engagement lead. And um, where there's a team of the regional engagement leads that cover the whole of England, but I am the regional engagement lead for the Southwest. So I cover the whole of the Southwest that mirrors the LGA boundaries. So up to Gloucester, across to like Swindon, Wiltshire, down to Bournemouth, um, and then across the South Coast and then up across the Atlantic Coast. So kind of geographically quite a big area, um, but not necessarily a big area in terms of kind of population or numbers of social workers per se. And my role very much is, um, I see it as being a bit of a conduit really between those who um, work or experience social work or have an interest in social work and the regulator. And I think it's um, the, the the development of the regional engagement lead was the brainchild of um, our previous um, chair of the board, which was um, Lord Kamalish Patel, who was really passionate about having that kind of relational um, engagement from the regulator, something that we haven't had in the past. You know, we've experienced a lot of change in social work in terms of regulation, um, but he was very keen that we had this relational kind of aspect and had people in the regions engaging with the sector and bringing back insights and um, sort of experiences and sort of data to kind of really inform the work of the regulator. So that's what I do really. It's really useful just to start to get a flavour of, uh, of what you do, Philippa. And uh, during our episode today, there's lots we're going to talk about, including the role of the regulator. And it's 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 that time where we're starting, those of us who are registered are starting to think about re-registration. So we will bring that into the podcast episode today. So it'd be really good to have a conversation about that. But I'm just wondering in terms of your, your regional engagement lead role, what does it look like day to day? Because I'm, I'm guessing if uh, if our listeners are anything like me, they're thinking, well, what, what do you do day to day? What does it actually look like? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's evolving and changing. And obviously, um, to some extent, aspects of our role, like everything, um, was impacted quite significantly by COVID and kind of we had to evolve and change. So prior to COVID, we were very, I was very much 
out and about all the time across the southwest spent a lot of my time on trains um visiting you know different local authorities different organizations where social workers work in predominantly meeting with employers to really kind of talk about and sort of get the word out about who are social working england and what is going to be the role of you know what the role is of the regulator and that was really kind of you know, really enjoyed sort of meeting people, having that kind of relational conversations, talking to people about, you know, it, you know, meeting someone from the regulator. You know, I've never, you know, we, we've been a regulated profession for, I think, two thousand since 2003 now, 30 years, but not, you know, I've never met anyone from the regulator per se. So it was a really good experience hearing from social workers, listening to them. Obviously, COVID happened and those face-to-face interactions, you know, were were, were no longer viable. And it was very, it was amazing, really, how quickly we were then able to adapt to to replicating some of the engagements online. And it was interesting because some local authorities and organisations were much quicker to adapt to kind of that hybrid approach, but others kind of much more um, slower. And we were kind of definitely using different um, platforms, you know, across across those two years. During COVID, it was very much around kind of again sort of doing running sessions on you know what it means to be a regulated profession what is the what is the expectation for social workers so really doing lots of sessions around CPD the fact that we were now going to be renewing our registration every year which was a change from when we were with the HCPC and meet you know just hearing from social workers and employers in particular about their experience, you know, what it's like to be a social worker. And it, it was really valuable insights, especially during COVID, that we were able to take back to the regulator and kind of share those insights. Who were then in turn, you know, we have a relationship with both departments and we were able to share that data with them. Other aspects of our work is around also engaging with students. So as well as working with social workers, did do lots of work with students. Obviously in COVID, that was very much sort of online and sort of really talking to them, preparing them for what it means to be a regulated profession. Um, you know, uh, we don't currently um, register, um, regulate students. And I know the HCPC di- didn't, although the GSCC did. And there's lots of debate around whether we should or shouldn't be um, regulating students. But what's really important is that we have those early conversations about what it means to be a regulated profession. So that's really sort of a lot of my work is some of that kind of face-to-face, but we also do a lot of work around fitness to practice. So offer consultations to um, people like yourselves, Carolyn, the PSWs and HR um, colleagues, as well as team managers around, they may have a query about whether um, a social worker should be referred to the regulator. Um, so we would have those informal conversations about that. We run fitness to practice workshops for employers so I think we're definitely trying to demystify what fit the fitness to practice process is because it can be very distressing and kind of worrying and anxiety provoking for anyone who's involved in fitness to practice. And so we're trying to kind of make sure that the right concerns are raised with us um, and that we can talk through that process with people. So those are kind of the sort of main aspects of my job. But we also do, you know, anything and anything in terms of um hearing from people with lived ex- um, int- live an experience of social work. I also, one of my jobs um, is I'm a link role for our National Advisory Forum. So I work with our participation officer, Jack Harrison, who isn't a social worker, um, but very experienced in co-production. 
And we work very closely with our National Advisory Forum, which are made up of people with lived and learned experience and or learned experience of social work. And they very much act as that kind of critical friend to the regulator and bring about and sort of really do work with us around co-production, which is something we're really passionate about. So quite varied. It's very varied, absolutely. And I'm really curious about co-production and the work that um, you know that the people are are doing with you as the regulator. What what type of work are they doing? How are people with lived experience or experiences of social work actually influencing and and working with Social Work England? Yeah, so I mean, I'm really I've been really impressed really with Social Work England's kind of um, approach to co-production that it's it's embracing it and it's quite. Whilst it's, co-production is probably much more established in other areas of social work, in regulation, it's quite new. Do you know what I mean? It, and it's kind of, I wouldn't, I don't want to use the word radical, but it is almost a little bit in the role in the world of regulation. You know, we know there's a lot going on in, especially in adult social care. It's much more progressive, I think, um, sort of how, co- you know, co-production, the work of TLAP and organisations like that. But in regulation, it is definitely new. TLAP are an organisation called Think Local, Act Personal and are made up of people with lived experience of social work who very much drive that co-production agenda, sort of nothing about us without us. And they're, they're really progressive in terms of challenging social work, social care sector to really be, you know, in, so they're included in kind of, you know, decision making and kind of um, policy sort of writing and thinking about strategy so they do a lot of work brilliant so going going back uh to to co-production and Mm. the work that is taking place with a regulator around co-production are there specific pieces of work that are being co-produced at the moment or or is it early days starting to starting to establish how how the regulator works with people with with lived experience, lived expertise of social work. It's a bit of both, actually, Carolyn. So you know we're we're constantly evolving and learning as well. So, but the the National Advisory Forum, we're really lucky to have some really amazing people who are involved in the forum, who really kind of bring their own kind of expertise and knowledge to us and challenge as well. So there's some. Um, specific kind of pieces of work that the forum have helped to co-produce so sort of an example of that is our social work in England report that kind of brought together sort of the two reports from our first two years of of being established to kind of provide that state of a nation report on social work in uh, in England Um, they also contributed and helped co-produce our strategy and we're really sort of fundamental in kind of encouraging us to think about that accessibility issue. We have an easy read version as a result and really kind of their involvement, really kind of un- trying to think kind of unblock some of the jargon that often can sit around um, regulation. Also, the National Advisory Forum have been really instrumental in our co-production around our so- the Social Work Week, which obviously we've run for the past three years. And we're really pleased about how the sector has kind of really embraced that and sort of seen that as a week of celebration of social work, which we think is really important. But they do a lot of work kind of behind the scenes as well in terms of, you know, providing advice and um, got helping co-produce sort of guidance, sort of looking at our accessibility, you know, in terms of our website. And one area that um, that they also help sort of influence is they're part of our decision review group. 
So the Decision Review Group is a um, group that review our fitness to practice decisions and processes. And um, it's made up of uh, representatives from across the organisation. We also have some um, in external kind of input. So we invite one of the devolved nations, someone from one of the devolved nations regulators to also come to provide that kind of challenge and kind of um, expertise. And we always have um, a member of the National Advisory Forum who has lived experience, who attends that DRG, the Decision Review Group. And that has been really powerful in terms of really making sure that not only when we're looking at our decisions and we're reviewing them in terms of have we followed due process, you know, and reflecting on decisions, they're really bringing that kind of reminding us about thinking about the people that sit behind the, they're experiencing these decisions, whether that's the complainant or the social worker, you know, or the employer, just really making it personal. And I think it's, um, it's been really powerful, some of the challenges that they've brought to that. And I think it's um, a credit to the regulator that it sees the value in here, in having that lived experience in part of that reviewing and, and quality assurance process. It sounds like a really important dynamic that, that has been introduced within, to how, uh, within how the regulator works. Yeah. I'm guessing this takes us on really quite nicely, Philippa, to to talking about the the well, what it actually means to be a regulated profession. So could you could you tell our listeners what do you think it means? What does Social Work England uh, think that it means to be a regulated profession? Yeah, I, I mean it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I think before I came to work for Social Work England, like I knew I was a regulated social worker. I knew I was a, had, you know, I had a regulator, the HCPC or the GSCC before that. I knew yes. I paid some money, do you know what yes. I mean, to them. And I knew that I um, had to do some CPD, you know, although when it was with the HCPC, it looked a little bit different. We didn't have to submit it formally and only if we were audited, which I was in um, one of the years. <laughs> I suddenly went in meltdown. Oh my God, I've got to do my HCPD now. Um, and so I had to submit it then, you know, that, that you know, I, I was like, oh, okay, well, what, what does it really mean? And it's only through working, you know, coming to work at social working then to some extent, I've really come to properly understand and appreciate the role of regulation. I don't think I really appreciated it previously. I think I was like, you know, I've just paid my money. I've got to be a registered social worker to practice. Whereas now, I think it's really helped me. And with the professional standards that we co-produced with the sector that I, I feel really passionate about, I think it's really made me understand why we need to be a regulated profession because it's about public protection. It's about telling the the public that as a social worker, I've been trained and the training that I've received has is is been um inspected and, and validated by and by the regulator as, you know, it's appropriate training. I'm fit to practice. It's all a certain standard. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that also when I am practicing and by maintaining my registration, I am demonstrating that I'm meeting the professional standards and that I am able to practice and that they can trust you as a professional, that they can be trusted that you will do the job that your stand that our standards, you know, in, you know, that benchmarking tell us what to do. So I feel really I feel really passionate actually that we're a regulated profession. I think I know that there's um 
difference of opinions about it but I you know I absolutely think it's really important and when when you're working in the fitness to practice side and you see you know you see some of the concerns that are raised about social because some of the really serious concerns where social workers have unfortunately potentially caused harm to those that they're working with that you know that's why we need a regulator because we need to be reassuring the public that you know we are dealing with working with often you know the most marginalized people in society the most disempowered people in society disenfranchised and disempowered and they need to trust us and they need to have that faith in us and i think that's what our registration gives us so that assurance for the public public protection yeah. is what the regulator's role is is all about and i guess promoting and upholding standards as well absolutely absolutely i mean i I don't know what your view is of the professional standards, Carolyn, but, you know, I, I really, I think they speak to me about why I came into social work. Like they're, they're absolutely about that kind of, you know, being, you know, integrity, kind of trust, you know, being anti-discriminatory, you know, um, being accountable for our role. You know, that is the, the values and ethics that brought me into social work and keep me in social work. I think that's what the professional standards offer us. I mean, I don't know what your view is. I, I would totally agree with you, Philippa. They 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 absolutely reflect. I think most of us who come into social work, they absolutely reflect why we come into social work, why we continue to practice um, in social work, and, and actually what we stand for and believe in as social absolutely. workers. So yes, yeah. So let's let's move on a little bit to fitness to practice, and this can be a really difficult area. I think to absolutely. to talk about concert. It's you know. Um, possibly um, a lot of fear for, for people if, uh, you know, if they are investigated under fitness to practice. So would you be able to talk just a little bit about fitness to practice and the processes so people get a sense of of what, it, what it's all about? Yeah, of course. Um, and I think you're right, you know, as, as a professional, as a social worker, I think, you know, the last thing any of us want is to be referred to the regulator. You know, we can be you know you feel that your your practice is being kind of scrutinized criticized you know and there's always that potential you know that you could be removed from you know the register and therefore not able to practice so I think it's I understand why there may be some fear and anxiety there but I think also if we are working towards the professional standards if we are adhering to the professional standards even if you've been referred to the regulator for whatever reason you know, you actually then shouldn't have anything to worry about because our professional standards are actually our code of conduct. And if you're adhering to those, then, you know, you should be fine. However, we do know that people are, may be referred for a number of different reasons. And there are a variety of reasons of why people may be uh, concerns raised with the regulator or they may feel they have to, as a social worker, they may have to self-refer. I think, um, you know, there are, in terms of how the regulator tries to manage its the concerns that are raised with us, we, you know, we are we're committed to being proportional and, um, you know, fair in our kind of, you know, decision making. We, we may not always get it right, but again, that's where the decision review group comes in, in, in us learning, you know, learning and, and, and developing. So if a concern was, if anyone was to have a concern raised, to the regulator either by a member of the public or um, an employer so anyone can raise a concern about a social worker um, that is first looked at in uh, under our triage process and at that time social workers would not be made aware that a concern has been made 
t- to the regulator by them. And there's lots of debate about whether that is the right approach to take. But some of that's around capacity. And at the moment, given that we have quite a high number of cases that are closed at triage, to some extent, there's the argument that we would be un- causing unnecessary distress to people. <laughs> so, so just to clarify with you, Philippa, those cases that are closed at triage means that they're not going to progress. There isn't no. enough evidence or no. there aren't the concerns to be able to take those concerns forward. Yeah, so it's a concern that either doesn't meet our criteria or it's not se- it's maybe not serious enough. It may, you know, it may not even be about a social worker. You know, they're, 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 it has to relate to the professional standards. So that would be closed out if it doesn't meet our triage guidance, our triage criteria, it's closed down at triage. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. I'm wondering, um, there's social workers that, that I've heard talking that are really worried about their registration because of workload within organisations mm-hmm. that, you know, for instance, social workers feeling they're not able to, uh, to, to keep on top of their workload or more referrals coming through. And, you know, we all know that uh, the pressures for, for adult social care, and I'm sure exactly the same for children's social care and the NHS as well, that, that, that there is a, a huge increase in demand, isn't there, particularly since COVID. The social workers, um, I, I've heard the conversations, really worried that they're not able to keep on top of some of the work and therefore worried about their own registration. I wonder what you might say, what advice you might give to those social workers. I think it's it's a really, you know, we're working in really difficult times, aren't we? Do you know what I mean? Sort of, you know, I don't think I've ever known times like this as a social worker. You know, there's lots of challenges, not only in terms of recruitment and retention, but also, you know, kind of, you know, resources, availability of resources, kind of so you know, government policy, et cetera, you know, it's all having an impact on how, you know, how people are able to kind of practice, um, you know, in the best way they would want to that gold standard. I think, you know, ultimately there's, if we go back to the professional standards, there's that, um, that part around accountability, you know, and being accountable for our practice. And I think there is something about being sort of, as a social worker, reminding ourselves of those values and ethics and being really honest and making sure our recording is, you know, is reflecting sort of what we can and can't do and that we're having conversations with our line manager, your team manager, your supervisor about what you can and can't do in supervision and really having that work sort of documented around decision making. If you've got any concerns around what you're being asked to do, you know, I think it's our responsibility to have that documented in our supervision notes so, and if where possible, you know, escalating that through, you know, the your organization's sort of policy, that that probably feels much more easy to do in theory than in practice. Sometimes we are aware of yes. some of the power dynamics and the challenges, but I think also, you know, the regulator is aware of some of the systemic challenges that are going on in, 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 for social workers and in organizations. So if we get a concern raised with us about, about pra- a social worker's practice, um, what we would, you know, a social worker's o- what always, always encouraged to engage in the fitness to practice process. We also see times when social workers don't engage, you know, for whatever reason, and I can understand why some social workers may not want to, but we definitely see um, differing outcomes for social workers that don't engage. So we absolutely, because we work on remediation and insight. So if a concern is raised about your practice or, or your, you know, in its, 
And what we would then do is be asking you to sort of respond to those concerns. And if you're able to evidence, you know, some sort of systemic issues that you feel have impacted and they're evidenced in your, you know, that you've had those conversations in supervision, you know, that is, you know, we understand that that happens. We understand the systemic challenges for people. So we're not, um, you know, blind to that. So I think, you know, that's where it's about that accountability and escalating those concerns upwards. So it's having those conversations in supervision with your supervisor, your line manager, making sure that they're documented. And of course, there, there, there are those conversations about a reasonable workload, aren't there? Absolutely. We're undertaking as social workers a reasonable workload, but there is more demand coming in than that an individual or team can manage. Then that needs to be escalated up within the organisation. So the organisation can hold that risk and, and look at mitigation for that risk. Absolutely. And there's always going to be situations where maybe as a social worker, you know, you're you're asked to take on another assessment, which, you know, you think might just tip you over the edge. And again, that's where it's like having those conversations. You know, that's why we have tiers of management, because those tiers of management are then there to manage that risk, as you said, and to be accountable for that decision making. You know, sometimes I, I think it's really tricky, but I think for me, it's about being transparent and clear. We may have to do that, but then it's about being re really clear that that was a direction you know, not being kind of obstructive because that doesn't help anyone. But I think it's 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 going back to the profession, revisiting the professional standards about being accountable for your practice and decision, you know, decision making, and and being true to your values and ethics. And I think if you're able to demonstrate that to the regulator and that you're adhering to the professional standards, we are aware that there are systemic challenges that sit around that. They're they're a real golden thread, aren't they? The professional standards. You know, just keep going back to those professional standards and and reflecting. Yes, absolutely. And looking at your practice in terms of those standards. But I'm going to move across now to uh, social media because certainly when I started out as a social worker, social media just wasn't a thing at all. So I didn't have to negotiate all of the complexities around what it is to be a regulated professional and to have a life on social media, either professionally or personally as well. I'm just wondering, any advice for social workers and student social workers in terms of using social media, both personally and professionally? Because there are lots of us who do have our own Twitter account, for instance, or, you know, different different social media accounts that, or LinkedIn, for instance, that we use professionally as well as probably quite locked down accounts that are our personal accounts. Yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting one. And I think it's one that's evolving and it's very fluid in terms of, of, of social media. And, and I think the advice that we can give is, again, it's thinking, referring back to your professional standards and thinking about, you know, as social workers, because we're a regulated profession, how we behave in work that we're not just judged by how we behave in work. We're also judged about how we behave outside of work. And, you know, that includes social media. So in terms of, you know, how what we may post or what we may retweet or like or have a, whatever media, whatever platform you're using in for commentary in terms of social media, you know, that, that could um, come to the attention of the regulator under the guidance of public interest, public confidence, you know. So... I think, you know, you do have to be mindful of how 
of how we appear and how we are presenting ourselves on social media, even if it is in a pro, you know, a person, your personal account, and you, you know, you, you think you're kind of managing who you're, you know, who you're friends with, because you know, you only need one person to maybe not be happy or ha- question what you may have retweet, you know, commented on, or or you're reposting or, or whatever, and they may, you know think that that brings into question the professional standards and that gets referred to the regulator. So I think, you know, always think about think about how whatever you're saying could be perceived by someone else. Think about our professional standards rules, really talk about, you know, that kind of anti-discriminatory, anti-kind of oppressive practice, thinking about that sort of um, biases and how we are perceived by the public. And, you know, in terms of the public making that decision, you know, it, it, in us making a decision as a regulator, it might be that it, it doesn't, there's no evidence of concerns around your practice in work, but because of what you may have posted or commented on, it may come under fitness to practice under the public interest, public confidence element. And, and that, you know, that's where it's really important that we think about how we present ourselves on social media, you know, and I think I would always say, if in doubt, don't post or don't read you know you've got that yes. feeling like should I shouldn't I don't yeah. you know yeah and you know never do it when you've like may have been you know down the pub and had a few drinks you know never do it then especially and and be really mindful because even if you delete a post someone could have screenshotted it you know it's, it's been really mindful of those issues and I think you know think about if you are putting on your 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 profile that you're a social worker that that immediately is linking you to the profession and auto, you know kind of heightens that kind of um, concern really if you were then to post something that may be questionable so it's a really tricky area um, I think there's a lot of grey in that area but I would just say I think err on the side of caution would be my view you know really think about what you're commenting on doesn't mean you can't have a voice doesn't mean you can't say things but i think you do need to really think about it and think about it in line of the in light of the professional standards again That's just what i was going to say again it is that golden thread isn't it coming back to the professional standards if you are going to post something and there are some real positives i mean i i Absolutely. certainly use social media as a way of you know connecting with uh, with with other professionals with people with lived expertise you know, and, and having general dialogues around health, around social care, social work, um, it can be it can be really helpful. And I've learned so much from those some of those 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 conversations, but being incredibly careful and keep going back to those professional standards. Yeah, I wouldn't I would yeah. absolutely agree. It is coming up to the time of year, and it may already be that time of year by the time this episode goes live, Philippa where we're all starting to think, ah, re-registration, we need to make sure our CPD is done, is complete. All of the documentation that we need to complete is done in good time before the, before the deadline closes. So could you, could you talk a little bit about re-registration? And bearing in mind, some of our listeners may be newly qualified, yeah. so a little bit worried about the process, or students that will soon be registering and re-registering for the very first time? Yeah, so um, just to reiterate, as um, with Social Work England now, we all have to renew our registration every year, which is that was a complete change for us. And some of that is about the 
social working and you know us providing reassurance to the regulator that we are adhering to our standards and that they're kind of meant make you know that that regular check-in is happening and we can then ship prove that kind of public confidence um again to the public i think for the requirement that all of us need to do so um the renewals window opens between the 1st of september and the 30th of november and that's when all of us who are registered have to renew our registration. So that involves, um, there's three steps. One is that you need to complete the renewal application form, um, the renewal registration form, I think it's called. And um, we, you need to make sure you submit it. So we're mindful that, you know, in previous years that people haven't always submitted, you know, believe they've completed it. I think sometimes after people have paid, you know, they think they've done everything and then not submitted it. So it's really making sure that you've submitted it and that should then be reflected on your online account. Um, and that we all set that. Yeah. So in terms of that being reflected on your online account, if you were to log in to your online account, what do you know what you would see? So I, got, I don't know. I have, I have, this year, oh, I don't know. But last year, last year you, we had three dials, one for our renewal application registration form, one for our CPD and one for paying the money so those three stages of the renewal process and it would sort of move from red to amber to green when it was finished so if you that's how it was last year I believe that's what it's going to be like this year so a bit of a progress bar um but it's about you know you should know whether you've submitted your form you know and also one of the things I would say is that if Social Work England are still contacting you to tell you that something is outstanding that means something is outstanding you know if you haven't if you're not receiving those emails then you would have submitted it all but um had lots of conversations with social worker last social workers last year who'd be like i'm still getting an email from social working but i've done everything and when i would go into their account to check you know there was they may have thought they'd completed the renewal registration form but actually hadn't um submitted it so you know or they'd done their two pieces of cpd but one wasn't a peer reflection so there was something awry so i think you know if social work england are emailing you double check go onto your online account and double check where you're at um so you need to do your renewal application form you need to pay your money so for those of us um so like i pay by um, direct debit so my our direct debit doesn't go out till october so until that second direct debit goes out, it will show on our online account that we are not we have not paid our fee because that needs to be cleared before that. But that will happen in October. So I think around October the 14th, all those direct debits will have been processed. So it then should move to green. Um, and then you also need to um, do your CPD. So um, we, as of last year, we are requiring all social workers to submit two pieces for CPD, um, one of which needs to include a peer reflection. And peer reflections, there could be with a peer, of course, somebody that, that you work with day to day, I'm guessing, could be with a manager, maybe, in supervision. What other options are there for people to, to think about peer peer reflection in in a broad sense yeah no i and i think um what's quite helpful is that social work england and have not been too prescriptive around this because they recognize that not all social workers are line managed by a social worker 
And social workers work in different um, ways. You know, some social workers are independent and don't even work in a team. Some social workers may work in a multidisciplinary team amongst other professionals. So Social Work England, when we're talking about that peer reflection, it's about having a conversation with a peer who doesn't have to be a social worker, but if they're going to be another professional, they need to have some kind of insight to your practice, to social work practice. Do you know what I mean? They need to understand a bit. So it's not about just having a friend over and having a cup of tea that is not, you know, has no idea what you're doing. It is about perhaps having a conversation with a a peer and um, having a discussion about what you've already learned for your own CPD. So there's the peer reflection is an add-on from the, that initial kind of learning that you've done, whatever that may be, you know, we're not prescriptive about that. Or we know, although we do know social workers love training <laughs> as to be their evidence, but it doesn't have to be. It could be this podcast, for example. You know, you... Um, if I, 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 I am actually going to use the podcast to uh, to do... I don't know if it'll be the peer reflection, but certainly a piece of CPD around the podcast because I have learned so much, not just from talking to uh, to all of the people that have yeah. kindly given up their time, but also is communicating using a different form of media. So it's not social media, but there's a lot of the same sort of issues that that present themselves. So yeah, that yeah. sounds fabulous. Yeah, so, you know, it's it's if thinking about your example, it's like. First of all, talking about what you you know your your learning is, and then reflecting on what impact or difference that's going to make to your own practice and also to others. So you know, lots of kind of reflections from you, I think, Carol, in there. Do you know what I mean? And what we know is, you know, when I've audited, we've done some auditing of people's CPDs that social workers are very good at doing their describing, but we we're not. There's not some more work to do about making sure we're really capturing that reflective element. And I think, you know, there's lots of models out there that I would encourage people to draw upon to really help them if they're struggling. You know, don't get fixated with the description. It's really capturing that reflective element. And then it's about talking about what you've reflected with a peer. So having that conversation about, you know, so you saying I've done these podcasts, you know, and this is what I've learned and this is where I feel that, you know, I'll have an impact on my practice and others. And through that, you know, social workers, are all, we do have these peer conversations all the time. And it's about, you know, we're doing it naturally. I think the, the difficulty here is that transition to putting it, into, putting it into words on paper, you know, or on a screen. That is absolutely it, isn't it? Because so often I've, I've had conversations with social workers that are really reflective conversations. And then Something is written down, writing up those conversations, and it is the description rather than the reflection. So yes, then it, it can be quite difficult, I think, for lots of us to yeah. to actually bring that reflection into into um, writing. Absolutely, absolutely, and I mean, I personally, I I can orally, you know, I can talk it through, I can talk yeah. my reflections, I can express my feelings, but when I come to write it. I feel like I make it overcomplicated. I feel like it needs to be more exact or, you know, um, sort of sort of more academic or something. You know, I, I, I think it just needs to be something else that but actually it doesn't need to be. It's capturing your reflections. It's, ha- you know, putting your thoughts onto paper. And then when you're having that conversation with a peer, like what we're doing now, you know, you're deepening these thoughts. Aren't you? you're, you're, through, through having a peer conversation, you're then thinking about, more examples or more ways that you can make changes or what you could do differently 
that's what the stim- that's what's stimulating through having that peer reflection and that's what you then capture I've, I've been having a few peer conversations with peers over the last uh, last few months and and some of some of it is about re-registration requirements but but actually it's been really really useful in itself and we'll often start off having a conversation about a piece of work that somebody is undertaking but the depth that you can actually go to with two or three of you in the room and starting to bring in other other um, other ideas, other theories, models that may be relevant, and then reflections as well. It's you know it's an incredibly valuable process. Absolutely, so, and that's how we learn, don't we, as social workers? We yeah. don't learn in isolation. You know, you know, it's having those kind of you know, and I think that we're quite a unique profession in where reflection is really kind of central to how we practice and how we develop as practitioners. You know, and I think it's critical to how we learn and it's really then important that you know it's through reflection that we show that insight and we can develop and make at the experience of people who access social work services better you know if we're not reflecting then how do we ever improve we've been talking for an awful long time philippa and i just wanted to pause because that that is so poignant you know, in terms of what 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 we're here for, our, our why, why are we social workers? And it, it is about improving lives, isn't it, for the people that we work with and with and for. I just wonder to start to to bring us to a close for this episode. Whether there's any advice that you would give to social workers that are starting out in their career at the moment. Oh wow. Um... Huge question. It's a big question, isn't it? And I mean, you know, I think, you know, I'd, it'd be remiss of me to not to say familiarise yourself with the professional standards. You know, they are, you know, you're, 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 they're our code of conduct. They're what we need to be adhering with, to, with and to. And, you know, I think it's about you, you know, use that support that is around you. Do you know what I mean? Don't work in isolation. Have conversations you know, be honest about what you can and cannot do, you know, and, and use supervision to really kind of, you know, test out some of those kind of, dif- you know, difficulties that you're experiencing. You know, it's really important that we feel safe in 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 how, in our work and that we're able to have those conversations about what we might be struggling with and that you, you know, make sure that you've, you you surround yourself with people that you feel safe and trusted with. Fantastic advice, Philippa. Thank you so much for coming on, giving your time so generously, coming to talk to us about the role of the regulator, Social Work England. And I really hope that this episode has been really useful for our listeners. If you've got any questions, then we've got an email address that will go in the show notes. So so do get in touch. And uh, if there are any questions that you have specifically about Social Work England, I can always speak with Philippa and we can get back in touch with you to uh, hopefully signpost you towards the, the right information and advice. Also with the email address, you know, do do get in touch with us if there's particular areas that you'd like us to talk about on the podcast or particular guests that you'd love to hear on the podcast. Do get in touch with us. We will add some show notes as well. So, uh, so do have a look at those. And as always, I always say this, don't I? If you like the podcast, please do share it with others because it does help us to become much more visible and to to really um, get out the different narrative about social work. So we hear a lot of negatives about social work um, in the media. 
but I believe that as social workers, we, we, we have a unique contribution to improving lives. So this this podcast is is partly, not wholly, but partly about trying to reclaim the narrative around social work. Thank you so much, Philippa, for joining me today. Really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks, Carolyn.